This is Dr. Barnard's Mini Logic Lecture number four, and today we're going to start talking about how to determine whether or not a syllogism is valid. So going forward, what we're going to discover is that there are actually two ways in which we can discover whether or not a syllogism is valid. One involves applying some rules that are actually pretty old, and um, another way uses the Venn diagram technique. Um, so given our current circumstance, I'm going to emphasize the rule-based method because it doesn't require you to draw pictures and send me pictures, and it doesn't require me to look at scanned pictures and things like that. Um, normally, I would emphasize the Venn diagram technique because I think it's a little cleaner, but that's just the way things are. Okay, starting at slide 119 and into 120, we can ask the question, once we have a syllogism, which remember is an argument, um, and the categorical syllogisms we're looking at are deductive arguments, we can ask the question, when are categorical syllogisms valid? We had um, some validity testing methods when we were doing propositional logic, things like the truth table method. And so one way that you can discover whether or not a uh, syllogism is valid is simply to know what its fig uh, form is, that is its mood and its figure. And if you know that, then you can recite this little poem to yourself. On slide 121, there's a little um, piece of poetry from uh, the Middle Ages in Latin. Barbara Celerant Darii Feroque Prioris, Cesare Camestris Festino Barocco Secunde, Tertio Tertia Derapti Disasmus Ditasi Philepton, Bucardo Ferrison Habit, Quarta in Super Edit, Bramantip Camenes Demaris Fesipo Frezion. Now, obviously, this is um, as clear as mud, but what you have there is you have a series of proper names and a couple of references to the, uh, the figure, right? Prioris, Secunde, Tertia, and Quarta are referring to first, second, and third, and fourth figure. If you go to 122, you get the decoding of what this is saying. So Barbara, Cesare, Deropti, Bramantip, right? Those are actually talking about the moods, those three-letter codes. And just like when we were looking at conversion and contraposition, and we were reading off um, the fact that the E's and the I's were valid in conversion and the A's and the O's were valid in contraposition using those letters embedded in the in the words, here, the letters, that is the vowels, as they occur in order in the um, names of the syllogisms, tell us which ones are valid in the first figure, in the second figure, in the third figure. And that can be converted and represented on a table here on slide 123. But we don't want to memorize that table either. We don't want to memorize the poem. We don't want to memorize the table. So what are we going to do? So... We have this list, but the list doesn't discriminate between uh, syllogisms that are valid in the modern mode only or those that are valid um, in the traditional mode. Um, we could make a big deal of this, and in class I might have made a big deal of this, but um, for the purposes of just getting um, 
through some of this material in an efficient way, given the way we're doing it. I'm not going to place a lot of emphasis on that. What I do want to do is I want to focus on thinking about the rules for validity and a syllogism and how they help us to understand what a syllogism is all about. So now on slide 125, we're here and um, we can think about these rules. So both medieval philosophers and logicians and what we call the so-called Port Royal logicians, that is people who continued to work on these logical systems through the, um, the 15, 16, 1700s, um, developed a list of rules that we could use, tests that we could use for whether or not a syllogism was valid. So let's think about what those um, might be. Well, one is this. Since every syllogism has a major, a minor, and a middle term, what happens if you have a syllogism that has more than three terms? Well, then it's not going to be a valid syllogism because think about that bridge diagram. You don't have a connection between the major and the minor term if it has to go through two additional terms that aren't related. You can only go through the middle term. That's why it's important there's only a third term. So you can't have four terms in your syllogism. That's the first rule. The second rule to think about is this. Remember, the purpose of a syllogism is to tell us about the relationship between the major and the minor term. But if the major term is not related to the middle term and the minor term is not related to the middle term, then it doesn't tell us anything about the relationship between the major and the minor in terms of their relations respectively to the middle. So you can't have two negative premises. And that's illustrated on slide 127. Slide 128 tells us that if the premises contain a negative premise, that is, there has to, there's a denial of a relationship between either the major in the middle or the minor in the middle, then the conclusion can't tell us that there definitely is a positive or affirmative relation between the major and the minor. So if there's a negative premise, there has to be a negative conclusion. If there's a negative conclusion, there must be a negative premise. And if you don't have that matching up, then you don't have a valid syllogism. That's slide 128. Slide 129 tells us more or less the same thing about universal and particular. Basically, if you have a particular conclusion, you have to have a particular premise, or if you have a particular premise, you have to have a particular conclusion. Now, that doesn't necessarily hold in traditional logic, but we'll talk about that in a second. When you violate one of these rules, you're um, pointing out that there is a fallacy that is a mistake in um, inference that's pre present in the syllogism. So there are three different kinds of uh, fallacies that we talk about. Fallacies of distribution, fallacies of negation, and then existential fallacies. So the mistakes can be these. So let's talk about distribution fallacies, and this is on slide 130. We didn't really emphasize it before, but let's, and I would have introduced this in a little more detail um, had we gotten back together, but there's this notion of the distribution of a term. A categorical proposition distributes a term when all the members of a category are talked about in that proposition. So um, all the members are talked about in an A proposition um, in the subject, but not in the conclusion. All the members are talked about in both the subject and the predicate in an E, 
And in an O, the predicate, all the members of the predicate term are talked about. So there's this um, tool you can use, the S-U-P-N rule, S-U-P-N, and it goes like this. The subject term of a proposition is distributed in it when it's universal, and the predicate term is distributed when the proposition is negative. So subjects distribute are distributed by universals. Predicates are distributed by negatives, S-U-P-N. So the fallacies of uh, distribution on slide 130 are these. There's what's called the undistributed middle fallacy. And basically that what this requires is that the middle term be distributed in at least one premise. So if your syllogism does not have a middle term that is distributed in at least one premise, it commits the fallacy of undistributed middle. The other distribution fallacy is called the illicit major or illicit minor fallacy. And basically it's this, it's like the negation um, up-down rule or the particular up-down rule that we just talked about. Um, Up-down means in the premise and in the conclusion. So if you have a term that is distributed in the conclusion, it must be distributed in its corresponding premise. That is the illicit major minor rule. In other words, if a term is distributed in the conclusion, like the predicate of the conclusion is distributed, say that's, you know, dogs, then um, when dogs occurs in the major premise, it also has to be distributed. That's how that works. The fallacies of negation are simply the fallacy of having two negative premises, which we call the fallacy of exclusive premises, and um, the fallacy of losing the negative, which is when you um, need to have a negative um, conclusion when you have a negative premise, or you need to have a negative premise when you have a negative conclusion. So the fallacy is called the fallacy of losing the negative. Finally, there's what we call the existential fallacy. It's the same fallacy as the fallacy on the square of opposition. And basically it's this, if you have two universal premises, you have to have a universal conclusion. If you have two universal premises and you infer to a particular conclusion, that's the existential fallacy, unless you know for sure that you're in traditional categorical logic. The existential fallacy is only a fallacy in the modern interpretation. Okay, that's the end of this mini lecture.